Meanwhile, when the crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that you will not that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing, who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth, many, you are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you were brought before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, defy, to divide his inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, will be a, there I will store my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Some of you may know from painful personal experience how tense, how touchy, even bitter, the settling of an estate can be. What? She gets the money and I get a house I probably won't be able to sell? What? His kids get money for college? My kids had to pay their own way through school. I wanted the antique dining room set. Where were they when I took care of mom at my own expense all these years? <laughs> Even families with no history of open conflict can be torn apart when the will is read. 
And so perhaps uh, we can sympathize with the man who interrupts Jesus in Luke chapter 12. But he doesn't get much sympathy from Jesus. Our Lord responds to this man's interruption curtly and uses the interruption as an occasion for some blunt teaching that must have made the interrupter back into the crowd and wish that he was invisible. Why is Jesus so tough on this guy? Because his attitude stinks and his timing stinks. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. This man in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. No, please, sir, could you give me some advice on how to deal with a difficult situation with my brother? Just tell my brother. No, Rabbi, my, mas my, my brother and I are at odds, and I, I honestly don't know what to do. Just... I want what's mine. And talk about bad timing. Many thousands, we're told in the first verse of chapter 12, many thousands of people came to hear Jesus teach. And I asked Mike to read all those verses leading up to today's text so that you could feel the weightiness of what Jesus was teaching on that day. Persecution is coming. Judgment is coming. And when our Lord takes a breath... Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. How clueless can you be? Many thousands gather to hear the most controversial, the most important figure of their time. He's talking about matters of life and death. And this guy, well, it kind of reminds me of when President Clinton was talking to a group of college and high school students, and when they had opportunity to ask him questions, a 17-year-old girl asked him whether he wears boxers or briefs. Really? That's what you're interested in about the most powerful man on the planet? You have an opportunity to talk to him? Unfortunately, the president dignified her question with an answer. Um, not so, Jesus. Verse 14, he says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? That's not my job. There are proper channels for adjudicating disputes about estates. I have a different mission. Don't you see what's going on here today? And then he looks at the crowd while his interrupter probably looks down at his shoes and says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus knows that this interrupter is not only clueless. He's greedy. He can't blame his faux pas on a low IQ or just a sense of social cluelessness. He's greedy. 
And bickering siblings in any generation might say that they just want what's right. They just want what's fair when, in fact, they're being greedy. Now, not always. There are legitimate times when a, an heir may feel like I'm being taken here and speak up about it. But when God is trying to talk to them about matters of infinite importance, matters of eternal significance, and they aren't interested, or they can't hear, they just want what's coming to them, then God is not any more likely to be sympathetic than his son was in Luke chapter 12. And of course there are other kinds of greediness besides uh, squabbling over an inheritance. Jesus said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There is the greed of the wealthy, like the rich man who when asked, how much is enough, said more. But there's also the greed of the poor person who lives in perpetual envy of those who are better off. There is the greed of the workaholic, and then there's the greed of the lazy person. There's the greed displayed in bling, and there's the greed that is hidden in conservative investments. There's the greed of the spender and the greed of the hoarder. There's the greed of the robber baron who never feels an obligation to give back to his community. And then there's the greed of the community that discovers that if you get a 51% majority, you can vote money out of other people's pockets and into your own. But Jesus doesn't think that life can be reduced to dollars and cents. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells a story, today's parable, to drive home the point. Verse 16 is what I want there. He told them, um, this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, before we go further, just notice that it doesn't say anything about the rich man getting his wealth illegally or unethically. He's successful. And, and that's not always bad, despite what you often hear around election time when some politicians uh, play to people's sense of envy. The Bible says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. <laughs> well, this rich man is even further blessed because his ground produces a good crop. Well, even if people don't realize it today, for centuries before the Industrial Revolution and the Green Revolution, um, successful businessmen, farmers, knew that although they had to work hard, they had to be prudent. There was so much that was out of their control. When the ground produced a good crop, when they prospered, their proper response was to fall on their knees and express their gratitude to the one who made the ground and the one who sent the rain and the sunshine. Gratitude that there would be enough to eat for the next year. We don't hear gratitude in what follows in this story. What we hear is greed. The man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all these crops. 
This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, it may be wise to build bigger barns, bigger factories, bigger warehouses. But the problem with this monologue is... Well, first of all, it's a monologue. No prayer, no taking counsel, no sense that maybe this surplus crop has been given so that he can bless others. It's all me, my, mine. Kind of reminds me of the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You have to forgive me, I don't watch very many movies. When I do, I watch the old classics, okay? <laughs> Mine. Prudent planning is one thing, obsessive hoarding is another. Preparing for the time when you won't be able to work is one thing. Losing sleep over how your IRA is doing is another. We're cheating God's work not giving as you should because you fear you won't have enough. And if by any chance you are not sure whether you are just being prudent or being greedy, try stretching yourself toward the generous side of the scale. No place in the Bible does Jesus commend somebody because they had more than enough to retire on, but he does praise a poor widow who put her last two pennies in the offering plate. Take life easy, the man says. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like the stuff I get in the mail from the AARP. I don't like it that they send me that stuff as if I was old or something. What? Okay, I'm old. But I'm not interested in spending the rest of this precious life that God has given me golfing, boating, shopping, playing while younger people pay my way. Not interested. Self, you have plenty laid up for many years, but Jesus insists a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And in any case... You don't have many more years. God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You fool. You fool. Now, the fool in the Bible is not someone who's intellectually challenged, but someone who is morally deficient. The one who foolishly leaves God out of his calculations. The fool, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that was not intellectual atheism. That really wasn't much of an option in the ancient world. It's practical atheism, living as if there's no God to fear, serve, know, and love in this life or the next. And the next 
comes quickly, often suddenly. This very night, God says, your life, which is as much a gift as your crops were, your life is going to be required of you. And then who will get what you have stored up for yourself? Government? Some twerp who will interrupt the Messiah and say, my rich dad died. Tell my brother to share the dough. This is not Jesus' main point, but I don't think he'd mind my saying it. You might want to consider um, passing on some of your wealth before you die. As someone put it, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. What is Jesus' main point? Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And if you think it does, you're a fool. If greed blinds you to everyone but me, myself, and I, if you forget that everything you have in this world is a gift, if you th think that the essence of security is bigger barns, if you're so preoccupied with money matters that you can't hear what the Son of God is trying to say to you, and if you take for granted that you're going to have years of ease in which to play and enjoy life, and all in spite of the fact that no one knows if today is his last day or not, then Jesus says you're a fool. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Here's a better way to live. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray about that. Father, by your Spirit, help us to take to heart your Son's words. To believe him, and not just in a theoretical way, because we are people who believe the Bible. 
but to believe him existentially, to, to put into practice what he says to us in these paragraphs. Help us to live wisely, to live generously, to live trustingly. To live life with a capital L as it was meant to be lived. Life is a gift from you. We accept it. We love you. And we want to so live, including the way we use our money, in a way that puts a smile on your face. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.